Chapter 14 of Darkness and Daylight, or Lights and Shadows of New York Life. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Piotr Natter. Darkness and Daylight, or Lights and Shadows of New York Life. Chapter 14 by Helen Campbell. Flower Missions and the Fresh Air Fund the distribution of flowers among the sick and poor, anecdotes and incidents. Twenty years and more of effort have made a different name for one of the most infamous regions of New York. Corlier's Hook, once unknown ground to all save the police and the gangs of thieves, murderers and tramps that infested it, is no longer the scene of murders and other terrible crimes that made it notorious a generation ago but it is still one of the most lawless regions in the city and the headquarters for the most daring of the river thieves the hook proper is at the bend of the east river the great machine shops and storage warehouses that lie along its front are hives of industry by day but when night comes and workmen and clerks have departed it is a deserted region back of these shops and warehouses lies a network of narrow streets and lanes in the squalid rookeries of which the thieves often conceal the plunder obtained in their nightly raids on the river like the five points it was for years dangerous to venture there after nightfall and like that quarter it owes its partial reconstruction to the work of the children's aid society and the various missions under its care the children of corlier's hook fare better than those of the five points in one sense for they live along the river front play on the docks and woodpiles enjoy the sunshine like any young neapolitan and swim and sport in the river under the very eyes of the police every available inch of ground is made use of for houses each lot having a rare tenement also thus shutting out air and sun and the children fly from these dens to the docks where they take their first lessons in thieving more than twenty years ago the founder of the children's aid society while wandering among the wretched dwellings and pondering as to the fate of these waves came upon an old shell of a public school building with the unusual advantage of being open to air and sun on four sides this was at once rented and was afterwards transformed into one of the most novel and attractive agencies for good that can be found in the city the man chosen for its superintendent had not only love for his work but a keen artistic sense any room in his hands by means of plants flowers leaves or even old prints and engravings took on a pleasant aspect and he brought all his gifts to bear upon this forsaken spot with its surroundings of old rookeries and broken-down tenements the backyard a mere strip of a place hardly bigger than a respectable closet was the first to yield to his magic touch here he planted shrubs flowers and vines about the shaded seat where for a moment those who rested on it might fancy themselves in the country sewers and bilge water were the best known smells in this region and he fought them with hyacinths and heliotrope and violets in the schoolroom above and through the lodging house which was part of the mission of the building plants and flowers were scattered about unconsciously taming the rough little subjects who came in and who begged for a single flower with an eagerness that could not be denied windows overran with them bud and blossom green leaves and trailing vines were everywhere 
the little yard was full and the superintendent proceeded to build a greenhouse where though he had never learned the art of floriculture he had marvellous success soon a noble reward was suggested to the young vagabonds of rivington street and indeed of the whole region who flocked in full of delight over the growing things the best children in the school were allowed to take a plant home with them and if they brought it back in a few months improved and well cared for they received others as a premium soon in the windows of the poorest most tumble-down houses and tenement rookeries one saw flowers growing and met the little savages of the district carrying a plant more carefully than they did the baby entrusted to their care a little aquarium in the schoolroom with its aquatic plants was no less a dear delight and children came from miles away attracted by the fame the flowers and plants had given to the mission the supply of flowers proved utterly inadequate to the demand sick children in the ward begged for them and a few wealthy persons who knew of the work that was being carried on sent occasional supplies from their greenhouses but even this was not enough and formal appeal was made to the public for flowers for the poor and especially for the sick children's mission and the hospital it was thus that the first flower mission of new york began its work the appeal was generously answered from all sides sunday school children especially were interested in hearing of the sick children who perhaps had never seen a flower and they gathered wild ones or began little gardens on their own account a receiving room was soon a necessity where all flowers were sent a large table long enough and broad enough to hold the loose flowers and allow of sorting them shallow traps for receiving the bouquets plenty of string and scissors and a few chairs completed the furniture of the room beginning as a mission the undertaking like everything else with which mr brace had to do took on many phases as much space as possible had been utilized for lodgers a school had been opened at once and the care of plants and flowers had been part of its work and thus as the building enlarged and the work grew many interests centered under the one roof and still distinguished it from other homes belonging to the same society in the home itself which very shortly became the property of the society and which is now known as the east side lodging house for boys another feature was soon added a small building was put up in the rear for bathing purposes and upon this a greenhouse was built opening into the schoolroom so that to-day every street waif who looks up from his desk sees a vista of flowers the superintendent's own rooms are a bower of green and the expression of the whole place is unlike that of any other home or refuge in the whole city a propagating house was added from which thousands of slips were given out and recently its capacity has been so increased that over fifty thousand plants are propagated from seeds or cuttings during the year the great difficulty comes with the winter months when distributing work among the tenements ceases and the young potted stock must be cared for most of the young plants are given as prizes to the children of the many industrial schools connected with the society and the floral festival once a year brings them back again as evidence of the care bestowed on that day the mothers come with the children and the spacious audience room is filled with a mass of green the girls succeed best and show their specimens with pride often a severe winter kills their pets 
but this is much less common since the use of self-feeding stoves began, which even in the coldest nights keep the temperature above freezing point. Thousands of poor families now have their windows filled with beautiful plants. They have learned the art of propagating the hardiest kinds, and ivies, fuchsias, and geraniums flourish under their care, but there is always lack of pots. Old tin cans with flaming labels or small wooden boxes take their place, but the plants can never thrive so well as in pots with proper drainage. To supply the demand for them would require a fund of no less than $250, and this has never yet been raised. There are floral committees in many of the surrounding country towns, and there is growing interest in the work of flower missions. The season opens about the 1st of May with bouquets of wild flowers and closes in November with gorgeous chrysanthemums. Flowers come in all sorts of ways. Those who understand the work either make them in small bouquets or separate the varieties, lying them in flat baskets with layers of wet cotton batting between. Often they come in great bunches and must be sorted and made over. Railroads and express companies deliver them free, and each year the interest increases. Distribution is the heaviest task. City missionaries, Bible readers, nurses, and druggists throughout the poor districts all cooperate in the work, and last year saw the distribution of over a 100,000 bouquets and bunches of flowers among the sick and the poor. The general mission, known as the New York City Flower Mission, whose rooms are at 104 East 20th Street, does active work from May to November, distributing both flowers and fruit. 400 towns in the vicinity of the city are contributors, and Smith, Amherst, and Vassar colleges also send flowers. Not only hospitals of all sorts, but the homes for the aged and infirm are now included in the work of distribution. Some donors make a speciality of one flower. Pinks come in profusion from one well-known name, and an unknown contributor, registered as the Pansy Man, sends in thousands of his favorite flower, while from another source, in one year, came 1,800 pond lilies. Fruit is distributed to some extent, but flowers seem most desired. Men in hospitals beg for pinks and look after the distributors with hungry eyes. Women prefer roses, and the children clutch at anything with color and sweetness. There are as many stories as flowers in this work. In one window of a rare tenement, three geraniums bloom and show thrifty growth, which owe their life to the care of three tots who daily take them to walk with a devotion which even the street Arabs respect. They march with them to Tompkins Square and sit in the sun till the pots are supposed to be charged with it. That they are giving themselves also a bath of healing and health does not suggest itself directly, but indirectly many a mother has learned that, if plants would thrive, sun and air and water must be had, and has, in degree at least, applied the lesson to the little human plants in their keeping. In the general distribution, all classes are cared for. From the sick child in hospital ward or stifling tenement house to the sewing girl working through the long summer days on the heavy woolen garments that must be ready for the fall and winter trade, there is always the sorrow of the poor and the bitter want that is so often part of the tragedy. Not till one has seen how pale faces light and thin hands stretch eagerly for this bit of brightness and comfort 
can there be much realization of what the flower mission really does and what it means to its thousands of beneficiaries the poorest know it best there is a grim tenement house on roosevelt street where a pretty child with drunken father and hard-working patient mother lay day after day in the exhaustion of fever nothing could rouse him and the mother said sorrowfully he'll go the way of all the rest and i'm not knowing but he'll be better off a city missionary bearing her load of bloom from country fields and meadows brought in a bunch of buttercups and laid them in the wasted little hand which closed upon them with sudden energy the dim eyes opened wide and the dry little lips smiled faintly as the child looked at the pretty yellow flowers all that monday he held them tight clasping them closer and his mother tried to take them and put them in water when he fell asleep she set them in a broken cup close by him and he reached for them as soon as he awoke on thursday the missionary who came again with fresh ones found the withered stems still in the little hand sure i've done the best i could said the mother and kept them in water whenever he'd give me the chance but he won't hear to them being anywhere but just in his hand they'll be the making of him maybe and now he'll be willing to eat and i'm thinking please god he'll live after all the crippled children show the same delight carrying the flowers to bed with them and watching the distribution with eager eyes prisoners in the jail men and women alike stretch their hands through the bars for them and there is one woman whose life to the deep amazement of everybody concerned has altered utterly under their influence it is long Saul, well known to the hook as thief drunkard fighter and general disturber of the peace a powerful creature nearly six feet tall and with muscles of a man who fought and bit when arrested and had left her mark on many a policeman over and over again she had been sent to the island emerging sometimes to a period of hard work which she knew well how to do and then relapsing into old ways into the tombs one day came the city missionary with some tiny bouquets a sprig of geranium and a bright verbena and long Sol looked at her wistfully the missionary had not meant to give her one indeed there had been no thought that she would do anything but throw them aside contemptuously but long Sol eagerly took them and retreated to her cell from which issued presently a call for the matron this patient and much enduring woman who appeared in due time looked with amazement hardly less than that of the missionary at the new expression at Sol's blear-eyed sodden face i used to have great luck with slips when i was a girl said long sal give me a bottle or something with water in it and more than likely this bit of geranium will live the matron brought it silently fearing to add a word and sal tended her geranium with devotion sending it out regularly by the keeper for air and the sunning it prospered and as it grew something grew with it when sal's day of release came she looked at the three new leaves on her slip as if each one were a talisman and the matron said to her when you are settled sol and at work again i will give you another plant sol was silent but as she walked away bearing the precious baby geranium she cast back one look at the matron an inscrutable look that might mean a fixed intention not to settle down at all or a dim and undefined resolution to make the plant life a success whatever might come to her own it is the truest things that carry often the most improbable sound with their telling 
and so all are welcome to doubt the tale but it stands on record that sol though yielding now and then to her old temptation of drink remained faithful to whatever pledge she had made to geranium which grows still a great plant every leaf cared for to the utmost by the woman who was once the terror of the world she is not a saint even now but she is no longer a terror nor is she alone in the experience which bears witness to what power dwells in beauty and how even what looks most helpless may through the ministry of flowers be reached in ways of which man has not yet found out the knowledge the fresh air fund and its mission are no less important but it reaches children alone though in special cases infants with their mothers are allowed to share its benefits this form of charity however is rather for the seaside homes and one or two places where small homes have been opened for those who need the country the fresh air fund known at present as the tribune fresh air fund is quite apart from these and began like the work of the children's aid society in the thought of one man it is to the reverend william parsons then a minister in a little country town in pennsylvania that the movement owes its birth yet true to that curious law by which in spots far remote from each other the same thought makes itself felt a wise woman whose name is associated with much of the best work done in philadelphia at the same time and almost in the same way declared the necessity of some action in behalf of the children of the poor and thus the quote-unquote country week was born the young minister shared the stare and perhaps set the first waves in vibration at any rate he had long had it at heart and it had been talked over with a woman who from her invalid room looked out upon the world through others eyes but with an insight that went to the heart of all possibilities for help her word meant force equivalent to that of a dozen elders and having told all his heart and found that his thought was sane and wise the young minister went home and preached to his flock of hard-working pennsylvania farmers a sermon that bore more fruit than even his wildest wish had conceived as possible the first letter written on the subject deserves record here sherman pennsylvania june third eighteen seventy seven my dear mrs l the ball is in motion i took for my text this morning inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these ye have done it unto me and i made the practical bearing of my words the bringing out into our homes of some of the waifs and outcasts from the city one man stopped on his way home to say that he would take four in another house there is a call for a mother and baby and so on through the town the enthusiasm and response of my people have delighted me next to get the money then to tell the children must not two weeks in this pure mountain air be felt by them in afterlife it seems to me that they are all but here now may i have the introduction you promised me to dr egglestone i shall try for a pass over the road to go back and forth with the children myself and perhaps i can arrange with some of these good people on the way to bring us a country lunch as the train comes along some good angel whisper it in the ears of the little ones tell tired mothers there is life for their children in this fresh country air signed willard parsons the name was an unknown one outside his own parish but through dr egglestone who was just about to sail for europe interest was aroused 
the airy railroad proved that one corporation at least had a soul for full fares were reduced to half fares and half to quarter and a pass was given mr parsons and on july nineteenth the first group went out nine children mere wraiths of what wholesome childhood should be were there crippled in consumption weak from whooping cough each one stamped by disease and pinched and thin for want of food there was doubt as to how they could bear the journey but excitement kept them up and a long night's rest made them ready for the miracles of the first country day with morning they swarmed out to quote-unquote catch raspberries and make acquaintance with the soil in general good portions of which were brought in on clothes and hands they proved perfectly manageable and at the end of the two weeks returned home transformed from prematurely old sad-eyed little figures into live children weighted down with gifts and crying to stay longer their places were taken by seventeen new ones received this time without anxiety for the work was now understood a blue ribbon bow was chosen as the badge and the group who next went out were all sufferers with a dozen ailments the diary of that summer's work is full of pathos and no less full of absurdity the sixty who shared the good provided for them did so at a total cost of one hundred and eighty seven dollars and sixty two cents but it was far easier at first to get the money than to get the children often the little thing was a breadwinner and the widowed mother perhaps an invalid herself did not know how to spare the sum brought in sometimes too the childish hands did the housework and quote-unquote minded baby while the mother went out to day's work and sometimes there was dark suspicion of motives and parents nodded significantly as they said to one another i'll not be letting my children be kidnapped away and me maybe never setting eyes on em again for the most part there was at last full recognition of the good involved often the children made friends for life and adoption resulted in some cases for all the same experience was certain a fortnight of bliss and revelation and a return loaded down with strange packages of everything that could be carried the unpleasant side was chiefly the burning of straw and washing of ticks some of the children had never slept in the bed and all required to be taught what daily washing meant and all the first principles of cleanliness very soon it became evident that working girls needed help almost as seriously but many objections arose children could be disciplined and taught much even in a week's stay but growing girls paired very probably self-sufficient and aggressive were a very different matter one resolute woman who had announced that she would tie her own children to a tree if need be rather than reject the wave who needed her home decided to take in the girls and see what would come of it they were to pay what they could and the rate was fixed at two dollars a week six girls came for a fortnight and never did dollars of their earnings produce such rich results so far from being aggressive they were gentle timid overworked creatures requiring constant assurance to make them willing to take all intended for them other doors were opened at once it was found that three dollars a week for board and washing still left a margin of profit for their entertainers Today, shop girls and working girls of every order are provided for and also young mothers worn with care and working women in all occupations mr parsons has for years had full charge of what is generally known as the tribune fresh air fund 
but many papers aid in the same work, recognizing him as leader. It is impossible to give more than a hint of its wide-reaching beneficence, but a typical case must find room here as the strongest illustration of what possibilities lie in the work, which is far more in the line of the self-protection of society than a charity. Long ago, in a dull old street, making part of an equally dull and colorless part of old New York, a very solitary child extracted such amusement from life as forty feet of backyard could afford. He sat in his small rocking chair and listened to the talk about him, growing a little paler, a little more uncanny all the time, till one day a country cousin appeared, and, horrified that anything so old and weazened could call itself a boy, begged that he might go home with her. There was infinite objection, but her point was finally carried, and the child found himself suddenly in a country village, a great garden about the house, a family dog, and cat, a cow, an old horse, and all the belongings of village life. Old-fashioned flowers were all about, and the old-fashioned boy sat down in the garden path by a bed of spice pinks, and looked at them, his hands folded, and a species of adoration on his face. "'Pick some,' said the cousin. "'Pick as many as you want.' "'Pick them,' repeated the old-fashioned boy. "'I'm afraid to. Ain't they gods?' An hour later, the seven years' crust had broken once for all, and the child who had to be put to bed exhausted from his scrambles through and over every unaccustomed thing began to live his first day of real child life. When the time came for his return, he begged with such passion of eagerness, such storms of sobs and cries for longer stay, that the unwilling aunt and grandmother left him there and finding the transformation when he did return beyond either comprehension or management sent him back to the life he craved today he holds high rank among american painters though only heaven knows how the possibility of such development found place in this strange offshoot of a philistine race but he counts his own birthday from the hour when the first sense of sky and grass and flowers dawned upon him and he looked upon the garden that he thought truly God had planted. End of chapter 14